Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today I'm going to lead a devotion in the book of Hebrews. We'll be spending the majority of our time in chapter 3, a little bit in 4. I'll jump around to a few other passages, but the majority of the time will be spent in the book of Hebrews. And the topic that we're going to be discussing is rest. We find in chapter 3 of Hebrews, beginning in verse 7, the writer of the book of Hebrews uses the story of the children of Israel being saved from slavery in Egypt to be brought into the rest of Canaan as an illustration for something the New Testament believer is supposed to know. It reads like this, therefore, and that therefore being there for the purpose of bringing together what has been said with what he's about to say. And what he has been saying is that Jesus is better. In chapter 1, Jesus is better than the prophets, and he's better than the angels. In chapter 2, he's the better man for man. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, he's better than Moses, who to the recipient of this letter would have really hit home because it is through Moses that God has given them the Old Testament law, which for them was their life. It told them what time to pray and what kind of sacrifices to make, how to respond and how to live in certain situations. And now the writer is telling them that Jesus is better. But there was a problem. There was a problem for those in the Old Covenant that we in the New Covenant will also experience if we're not careful. And he lays it out as he gives the story in verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Do you have time in your life for rest? I was speaking on this topic once in northern British Columbia, and one of the members of the church that I was in got quite upset with me. How dare I talk about rest? How dare I say that rest is for the believer? When he said that, he has a wife and he has children. He has his own business and he has debt. There's no time for rest. How dare I say that rest should be for him? Can you identify with that? Well, if so, listen to this. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think sometimes we choose to misread that passage, and we read it more like this, come to me all who are strong and have it all together, and I'll give you rest. For some reason, we believe that rest is only a reality for us once we've been able to figure out how we're going to get through what it is we're facing or what it is we have to deal with. But Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. God's rest has absolutely no requirement 
for comfort. <laughs> In Philippians 4.12, Paul said it like this, I know what it is to live with a lot. I know what it is to live with very little. But he says in verse 12, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, it's got nothing to do with comfort. Rest has nothing to do with comfort. So then, how is it possible? In verse 11 of our passage, it says this, They shall not enter my rest. Well, what is God's rest? In chapter 4 and in verse 3, well, already there in, in verse 11 where we already read, he says, my rest. He calls it my rest. He says the same thing in chapter 4 and verse 3 and again in verse 5 of chapter 4. He's specific. He's letting us know something by repeating this. This is his rest. It is literally God's rest. F.F. Bruce once said this, that the rest which God promises to his people is a share in that rest which he himself enjoys. This rest is God himself in the life of Christ. This rest is not something, but someone. In Philippians 1.21, Paul said that life as a prisoner is Christ. <laughs> it is someone. He says, for me to live, and again, he's saying it as a prisoner, for me to live is Christ. Not something but someone. It's described in Deuteronomy chapter 11, this rest, this land of rest that, that the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about as a picture for something for you and I as New Testament believers to, to know. This rest is described this way in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. You see, in order for the slave of Egypt to survive, it completely depended upon him by the sweat of his brow, tending his garden, watering his garden, making it work with all of his own self-effort. That was the only way he was going to survive. But we're told that the land into which you are entering is not like this. Verse 11 goes on to say, but the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, listen to the contrast here to what they've been brought from. It drinks water from the rain of heaven. <laughs> it's not dependent upon them. The watering of the garden, the watering of the garden for their survival does not depend upon them. In verse 12, it says, it is a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. Guys, this rest is not something, it is someone, and this rest is totally dependent upon that someone. Well, this passage again says, they shall not enter my rest. Who are they? Well, in verse 16, we're told that it's those who came out of Egypt. In other words, it was those whom God had saved from slavery. So this is not a picture of the non-believer 
becoming saved, but of the believer who does not know that rest that is to be the reality of his or her salvation in Christ. You see, these people of the Old Testament, this, these, this Hebrew nation, they were saved from slavery, but because of a hard heart, verses 8 and 10, they would not know God's rest. But it's important to understand something here. You see, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 23, this is an account given after they've believed the 10 bad spies. You know how they, the 12 spies went into Canaan to spy it out, to see just what it was that God was giving them. They came back with a report. They said that it's everything that God said it would be. But we're not strong enough to take it. And so the, the majority, all but two, of the adult generation of Israel believed those ten bad spies. Now, remember, this is a generation that had been saved from slavery to live in the rest of Canaan. But they refused to enter in. And so God said this in chapter 14 in Numbers, verse 23, They shall by no means see the land, which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. They're not going to know this rest. But it's important to understand something. (laughs) They've been forgiven. Because in verse 20 it says, So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. They are forgiven. But those who have been forgiven will not know the rest that they've been saved for. The New Testament believer needs to pay attention to this lesson. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, in verse 1, it reads like this, Therefore, let us fear. You and me, let us fear. While a promise remains of entering his rest, there's still a promise. There's still this rest for you and me to know who have been saved. Any one of you may seem to have come short of it. What did they not believe? Why did they end up not entering into this rest? What exactly did they they not believe the Lord for? In Exodus chapter 23, there is a message that's preached to the nation. And remember now, repetition equals emphasis. So it's really important to pay attention to what is being repeated here as I read this. And it's a, a, lengthy, it's a lengthy passage to read. Uh, maybe some would say not the wisest thing to do on a podcast, but I'm going to do it because I want you to hear what's being repeated. And the phrase will be this, I am or I will. So listen to this, starting in verse 20 of chapter 23 in Exodus. Behold, I am, God says, going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared, into this land of rest. I am going to do this. In verse 23, but if you truly obey his voice and do all that I said, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel 
will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, and I will completely destroy them. Verse 25, but you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. I will drive them out before you in a, I'm sorry, I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. Pretty obvious what the message is being preached here. God is saying, I will do this. I will bring you in to this rest. And this is the message that's preached to them. But what did they hear? In Numbers 13, verse 31, when those spies had gone in and come back, they gave the bad report. What was their report? They said it's everything that God said it would be. And in verse 31 of Numbers 13, they said this, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able But folks, that's not the message that was preached, is it? The message that was preached is this, I will, I will, I will. But their response is, we are not able. This is not the life that was preached, but it's the life they chose to live. A life that is governed and dependent on what they can do. Are you believing Jesus for his rest? Are you believing Jesus for what he promises he will do? Again, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And here's the wording. Listen, I will give you rest. God's rest in Christ is not obtained. It is received. This is what he will do. His rest is not obtained. It is received. How? I had a number of students ask me that one time when I was teaching the book of Hebrews in one of our centers. Day after day, a number of students would keep coming up and asking me, how do I rest? How do I rest? On the last day of the week, I told them, you know, you've been asking me all week, how do I rest? Well, I'm going to tell you how. And the room got quiet and a group of students grabbed their pens. They all sat up ready to write down the answer, to receive the formula as to how they can rest. And I read to them from chapter 10, where it simply says this, but my righteous one shall live by faith. 
And I watched as about four students just dropped the pens on the table and with exasperation just sighed and looked at me as though to say, are you kidding me? This is the only way? Folks, this rest is only known by faith. In chapter 4 of Hebrews verse 2, it says this, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united in faith. This is what we need to learn. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the writer says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Are you seeking him? Are you trusting him alone for what only he can do? You see, that's what these Old Testament saints were all about in their faith. Listen to the description of Moses and his faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26. He was considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. These people listed in chapter 11 were by faith looking to Jesus looking to Christ, looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise that you and I are given the privilege of looking presently to. The fulfillment of the promise that is found by Christ to know this by faith, not in ourselves, for Galatians 2.21 says that would be futile. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. But our faith is in the one who makes the promise. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Are you like the man that I talked about in the beginning of this episode? Frustrated and even angry. Because there's no way that rest could be a reality for you simply because of all that is laid before you to have to deal with. Is that really what you think? As one who has placed your faith in Christ, is that really what you think? Bob Hobson, a former torchbearer speaker who is now with the Lord, once told the story of an encounter that he had with a disgruntled staff member of one of our torchbearer centers. This staff member came to him frustrated having watched Major Thomas, who is the founder of Torchbearers, being so busy in so much activity, this staff member came to Bob Hobson and he asked the question, how can Major Thomas speak of rest when he is so busy, when he is always on the move? Interesting observation. How busy was Major? You know, he traveled so much during his life all over the world preaching and teaching that at the pinnacle of his ministry when he was the busiest from what i've been told he was only home three weeks out of the year and those were not consecutive days i know that he traveled so much he flew so much traveling from one church to the next that he actually had more air miles than anybody else with the airline that he traveled with 
And they actually used him in an advertisement for this. Some of his aides would tell stories of how they would go to bed late at night and Major Thomas would be sitting at the desk working. And then they would wake up early in the morning and see that Major was still sitting at the desk working. So I asked a friend of mine who traveled with him, is this true? And my friend confirmed that, yes, it is true. He slept on the plane in between engagements, speaking engagements. And so the staff person has a problem with this. How can this man speak of rest when all he does is work? When all he does is engage himself with what is laid before him to take care of. And Bob Hobson looked at him and he said this, brother, if Major Thomas didn't know the rest of Christ, then there was literally no way he could have sustained that level of busyness. You see, rest has got nothing to do with comfort. But rest is literally the fullness of his life in us for whatever he and his sovereignty lays before us. Do you know this rest? Because if you have placed your faith in Christ, this rest is for you. This rest is the reality of his presence in you as you by faith look to him alone for all that is laid before you to walk with him in. So believer, by faith, look to Jesus and rest. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the His Hill podcast this week. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty. We are gearing up for the Thanksgiving conference and are excited to welcome friends of the ministry, alumni, family, and new guests to the Hilltop next month. If you are interested in attending, please contact the office at 830-995-3388 to see if space at meals is available. Thank you again for tuning in to the His Hill podcast today. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.